I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Lurkers, welcome to this week's episode. Before we get started, I just wanted to give a shout out to a new listener, Jess. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm glad that it can give you a little entertainment during the day. With that, uh, we are going to be traveling along the east coast of the United States for this episode to delve into some ghostly tales about everyone's favorite topic, pirates. Now, I know that pirates are not the dashing, romantic, amusing characters portrayed by Hollywood, but I think most people are drawn to the tales of these um, rapscallions. I'm pretty sure I just channeled my grandmother. I have no idea why I just used the ancient word rapscallion, but it fits. If I start saying pocketbook you know I'm being possessed. Anyway, the first tale that I'm going to tell you isn't a ghost story on its own, but does have some association with a couple of our stories, and it does have a couple of associated ghost stories with it. And it's a pretty cool tale. I'm talking about the story of Ocean Born Mary. The story has some factual bits and some not-so-factual bits, and I am going to share all of it with you. According to the New England Historical Society, our story starts in July of 1720, on a ship in the Atlantic off the coast of Massachusetts. Aboard were Elizabeth and James Wilson from Scotland, who were fleeing the violence in Northern Ireland for a new life in America. Somewhere around the 28th of July, Elizabeth Wilson gives birth to a daughter on board the ship. All this is true up until this point. Then the ship is attacked and boarded by pirates, intent on robbing and killing the passengers. But the pirate captain heard the newborn little girl crying and went to investigate. He became enamored with the infant and told Elizabeth that if she named the baby Mary, In honor of his mother, he would return the captured crew and passengers and spare their lives. She, of course, agreed. There's a slightly different version that said that Elizabeth Wilson went into premature labor because of the stress brought on by the pirate raid. Either way, there was a baby girl who was named Mary. The pirate captain gave baby Mary a gift of light green silk brocade and told Elizabeth to save the fabric for Mary's wedding gown. While that might seem a little far-fetched, there are pieces of Mary Wilson's wedding dress on display at three different museums in New Hampshire, and they are light green silk brocade. Mary grew up and was well-loved in her community. She was a tall, attractive, red-haired woman who married James Wallace and had four sons and a daughter. Mary outlived her husband, and eventually she moved in with one of her sons. 
this is where some untruths come into play. Well after Mary died, a man from Wisconsin bought the house owned by her son Robert. The man who bought the house fabricated stories about a red-haired ghost and buried treasure and would rent shovels to people who wanted to dig for gold. But Mary never lived in her son Robert's house. She lived with her son William in a house that has since burned down. There was even mention that Mary did not even like her son Robert and never visited him, so it's not likely she would hang out in his house after death. But while the house, called the Oceanborn Mary House, isn't haunted by Oceanborn Mary herself, it is said to be haunted. The house was investigated by famed paranormal investigator Hans Holzer. It was actually investigated by Holzer twice. The first time, there was a psychic there provided by the homeowner, and Hans Holzer didn't trust the psychic, so he came back and did a second investigation with his own personal psychic. I will be mentioning the legend of Oceanborn Mary again, which is why I included it here, even though the haunting associated with it was largely debunked. Now we're going to be headed further north to a group of small islands known as the Isle of Shoals. These islands are located about six miles off the east coast of the United States and straddle the border between Maine and New Hampshire. The Isle of Shoals was first inhabited by fishing communities about 400 years ago. Today, it is home to private residences, seasonal hotel, and a marine research facility. Since the time of the first settlements in the Isle of Shoals, the islands were infested with pirates. In fact, one historian stated, there is strong ground for suspicion, indeed, that the islanders were generally indulgent and sometimes friendly and serviceable in their intercourse with the numerous pirate ships which visited their harbor. On Appledore Island, one of the larger islands in the Isle of Shoals, lived a man named Philip Babb. Philip Babb was born in England around 1634. He eventually found his way to Appledore, married, and had children. How exactly he came to live on Appledore is up for some debate. The rumor was that after he retired as famed pirate Captain Kidd's mate, he moved to the island to avoid the hangman's noose. What is known for certain is that Philip Babb moved to the island sometime around 1653 and worked as a fishing master, butcher, served as the constable for the island, and also ran a tavern. Babb was known as a wicked and loathsome man. He was incredibly rude and not well liked by his fellow islanders. He was always seen wearing a heavy striped butcher's apron with a large knife sheathed on a thick belt. Babb lived on the south side of the island in a small cottage on a cove. The cove was the area where he often butchered pigs and the area now bears his name. There is documentation that Philip Babb and a fellow islander dug a massive hole near Babb's cove, though there was no explanation as to what the hole was for. The gossip on the island was that Philip Babb had either found some sort of long-lost treasure and was digging it up, or he had a treasure that he was burying. Philip Babb died on March 3, 1671, and he was buried there on Appledore Island in the Babb Cemetery. 
but he certainly isn't resting in peace. Many have seen his ghost roaming the cove, watching over his former home. One story comes from an islander who emerged from his workshop one night and saw a strange form running towards him. At first he thought one of his friends were playing a prank on him, but as the person drew closer, about an arm's reach away, he saw that the figure had the head of a corpse with hideous sunken eyes. The angry spirit then pulled a giant knife from a sheath on his belt and brandished it in the terrified man's face. The man ran to the safety of his home. Another resident of the island saw a figure wandering around in the moonlight at Bab's Cove. He couldn't make out the form as anyone he knew on the island. The dark shape approached the apprehensive man. The man thought it was odd that he heard no footsteps on the gravel path as the thing approached. As the form grew closer, he suddenly recognized the figure as that of Philip Abb. He could see the black eye sockets and the glowing butcher's apron reflecting the moon. The man shouted at the apparition, who then made its way down the path before vanishing into the darkness in front of the terrified man. There are many more stories of Philip Babb's phantom roaming the island at night. One story was shared with island resident and historian Celia Thaxton. One spring night, someone was sitting on the broad piazza at sunset. It was calm and mild. The sea murmured a little. The birds twittered softly. and There was hardly a waft of wind. On such a beautiful evening, ghosts were the furthest thought on the man's mind. As he happened to glance towards Bab's cove, he saw a figure quietly approaching. The man called out to the figure and got up to go meet it, and that's when he recognized the stripes of the butcher's apron that had a phosphorescent glow. The man didn't run. Instead, undeterred by the apparition's devilish expression of malice, he called out, Who are you? What do you want? To the man's relief, the ghost suddenly grew indistinct, first thick and cloudy, then thin, dissolving quite away. Many have encountered his terrifying ghost wielding his ghostly knife in their faces. The ghost of Philip Babb is so well known that even great American author Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote about it in the American Notebooks, saying, This island is said to be haunted by a specter called Old Bab. He was one of Captain Kidd's men and was slain for the protection of the treasure. Old Bab the ghost, a luminous appearance about him as he walks, and his face pale and very dreadful. There were two different theories on why Bab's ghost was so restless, other than the fact that he was despicable and wicked in life, so of course why not in death. One theory was that Captain Kidd had buried a treasure on Appledore Island. Philip Babb and his friend were looking for the treasure when they dug the hole in Babb's cove. The hole was said to be 30 feet wide and 10 feet deep, and in it Babb found a heavy iron chest that was too heavy to lift from the pit. So Babb used a hammer and a chisel to open it. When the lid to the chest gave way, smoke like burning sulfur came from under the lid that when they last burst it open, red-hot horseshoes flew out. 
Bab escaped the fiery trap unharmed, but ended up haunting the cove after his death to protect the treasure. The other theory had to do with the location of the Bab family cemetery. The bowling alley of the luxury hotel that was built on the island was located on top of the Bab cemetery, and who could possibly get any rest with bowling balls rolling above their graves? Today the ghost of Philip Babb is rarely seen, and the students of the Shoals Marine Lab on Appledore Island steer clear of Babb's Cove at night to keep it that way. As for the mysterious hole, the great storm of 1851 filled the remains of the hole that Babb and his friend had dug, and now a Coast Guard house sits on top of the area where the hole was once located. Many people also believe that Philip Babb was the pirate in the story of Ocean-Born Mary. His wife's name was Mary, and Babb was rumored to be a pirate, but Babb's birth and death timeline don't mesh with the Ocean-Born Mary timeline. Not only that, in order to spare lives, the pirate in question would need to possess some sort of decency, and it seems Philip Babb didn't really have much of that. Just so you know, the pirate named Bartholomew Roberts was actually considered to be the pirate in the ocean-born Mary legend. He was a Welsh-born pirate and was considered the most successful pirate during the Golden Age of Pirates, measured by captured vessels. He was known to sometimes spare the lives of the people on the ships that he captured. He eventually became known as Black Bart, and he's been featured in common day stories, movies, and video games. He was also the inspiration for the Dread Pirate Roberts. And since I brought up Black Bart, I'm going to share a story about him as well, though it doesn't take place on the East Coast. Bartholomew Roberts was born in 1682 in what is now Little Newcastle in Pembrokeshire, Wales. His first name was John, but he changed it to Bartholomew for unknown reasons, though pirates often adopted aliases. It's possible he adopted the name from the well-known buccaneer Bartholomew Sharp. He was a member of a ship's crew beginning in his teens. He sailed with Captain Davis on a mission to kidnap the governor of the Isle of Princes, but the governor found out and ambushed Davis when he went ashore. Roberts became captain by vote. He was known to be quite dashing, wearing bright-colored breeches and waistcoat. His guns usually hung from the sashes of silk, and he adorned his hat with feathers. It's reported that he took over 450 ships, and he admired bravery in his enemies and abhorred drunkenness while out at sea, because he knew they could come upon a ship at any moment, and his men needed to be ready. Black Bart met his end in February 1722, when he took grape shot in the throat. Grape shot could be anything, like glass, rocks, or slugs, packed in canvas, that when shot from a cannon acted like a shotgun. His crew immediately threw him overboard, which was something he had instructed them to do if he ever was to be killed in battle. After his death, Black Bart and his ship does show up again, in Portland, England, in a farmer's turnip field. After a nasty storm, a farmer goes out to find a ship in his turnips. He goes out to confront the captain to inquire why the ship is in his field, and he recognizes none other than Black Bart, who has been dead for some 300 years at this point. 
he still asks to speak to the captain and tells him how the ship has ruined his crop. Apologetically, Roberts hands the farmer a very expensive brooch to compensate the farmer's damages. Soon, the other ghosts in town find their way on board the ghost ship, where they all start partying into the night. But the townspeople become worried that the spirits were staying up too late partying and straying from their usual haunts. They confront the ghost pirate, who gives the people of the town the best rum they've ever tasted. Though it seems perhaps they might have tasted some rum prior to seeking the ghost captain out in the first place. The next morning, the ghost ship, its crew, and some of the town ghosts were gone. I'm not sure what to make of this story, though. I think perhaps it might have something to do with spirits in all of its forms. But back to the Isle of Shoals now. There are many stories of ghost pirates and ships from the Isle of Shoals area. This next story deals with a ghost vessel a little smaller than a pirate ship. This is the story of the Phantom Dory. Though I I wish it was a ghost dinghy. (laughs) Because I'm a child and I like saying dinghy. I once saw a sales ad for a hard dinghy. I'm not lying. It was like a $500 hard dinghy. Anyway, in the early 1900s, the Isle of Shoals was a popular stop for boats consisting of Portuguese and Italian fishermen, also known as guinea boats. These fishermen sailed up from Boston to fish in the plentiful waters around the shoals. One night, a crew member of one particular boat drank too much and rowed to shore to party. Once ashore, the drunk man spotted the wife of an island fisherman and made advances to her. These weren't advances of a friendly drunk, but something more sinister. The woman refused to give in to him, fighting his brutal advances until he pulled his knife out and stabbed her to death. He, of course, took off back to his boat. His crew, though, knew something wasn't right because of his demeanor and the fact that he had blood on his clothes, which are usually pretty good indications that something isn't right. The guinea boat shoved off to sea, saying nothing. In the meantime, the woman's body was discovered and the authorities came to investigate. The husband of the murdered woman returned from fishing while the investigation was ongoing. Because the husband was known to be a jerk himself, described as being heavy-handed and violent, he was arrested for his wife's murder. While preparing to transport the suspect to the mainland, a storm came up and made travel impossible so they kept the man in a fisherman's cottage to wait out the storm. But the man dove out the window and ran towards the beach. There he jumped in his dory and made his escape into the storm. The police ran towards the beach, only to see the dory vanishing in the fog and rain, and the man was never seen again. Several months later, the guinea boats came back to the area to fish once again. In the dead of night, in the moonlight, a dense fog overcame the area, enveloping the area like a thick blanket. Suddenly the sounds of the sea were shattered by the sounds of screams from below the deck of one of the guinea boats. Those aboard raced below decks to find the source of the agonized screaming, but they were not prepared for what they were about to find. There on the floor was their fellow crew member, lying in a pool of blood. 
His severed hand was inches from the stump of his wrist. They all knew he was the drunken sailor who had attacked and killed the woman on the island just a few months prior. During the ruckus, one of the crew had distinctly heard a set of oars lock into the thole pins of a dory, followed by the sound of water swishing, as if someone was rowing into the dark of the night. Another crew member swore he saw a figure disappearing into the fog in a small boat. It seems the accused fisherman returned to seek his revenge. But the ghost's vengeful appetite wasn't satisfied. Every guinea boat that harbored at the Isles met the same fate. A dense fog would roll in, followed by an unearthly scream and a fisherman on the boat hacked to death by a mysterious phantom. Some had an ear cut off, some were missing a foot or a hand, another had his nose sliced off his face by a large knife, and another man had his eyes ripped from their sockets. With each death, the sound of oars could be heard echoing through the eerie silence of the fog, and sometimes the dark shape of a man in a dory would be seen vanishing in the clouds. Eventually, the guinea boats came less and less often. It's said none wanted to fall victim to the curse of the phantom dory. The ghost in the dory is said to still be roaming the waters around the Isle of Shoals, watching every ship that enters. We're going to end this series of stories about one of the most famous pirates around, Blackbeard. I consider him a pretty famous pirate because I knew about him back when I was a kid. Granted, I was a weird kid, but I think it's safe to say he's one of the most well-known pirates, weird kid or not. Maybe with the exception of Jack Sparrow, who's not even real, but more famous. Blackbeard's first name was actually Edward, which is pretty definite. It was definitely Edward. His last name is generally listed as Teach, though it could also be Thatch, Thack, Thatch, or Tish, or Teach, which is the same thing, but spelled differently. It's believed he was born in Bristol, England in 1680. He was well-educated and was able to read and write, meaning he most likely came from a well-to-do family. He was known for being a menacing-looking man. He terrified his foes by tying burning fuses into his hair and beard before going into battle giving himself a smoky, demonic glow. Many say ships surrendered as soon as they were confronted by Blackbeard, simply because of his appearance. In fact, there is no actual record that Blackbeard killed anyone in a raid during his short run as a pirate from 1716 to 1718. He settled in Bath, North Carolina, where he accepted a royal pardon. It's also said that he married a woman named Mary Ormond while he was in Bath. But Virginia governor had it in for Edward Teach, and he placed a bounty on his head. Blackbeard sailed to Ocracoke Island, and there, on November 22, 1718, Lieutenant Maynard caught up with the pirate at Teach's Hole, a channel where Blackbeard often anchored his ship in the Ocracoke Inlet. There was a fierce battle, and though wounded, Blackbeard continued fighting. He was said to have been cocking his last pistol as he died. He died from 25 wounds 
five of which were from guns. Blackbeard's head was severed and hung from the bowsprit of Maynard's ship while his body was thrown overboard. The legend says that the headless body of Blackbeard swam around Maynard's ship three times before finally sinking. The head was taken to Virginia and then placed on a pole at the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay as a warning to other pirates, and it remained there for several years. Now Blackbeard's ghost haunts the waters of Teach's Hole. He appears as a light moving underwater, and when it rains you can hear Blackbeard's voice crying out, Where's my head? In the early 1800s, locals began to report ghostly ships and the sounds of war at Bath Creek. Massive balls of light or fire were reported moving back and forth across the water. And any time a storm rages, Blackbeard's ghost appears, hunting in the storm for his head. The ghost is often seen with a strange light in the area where his head should be. There's also an account where a boy, aged about 12 or 13, was out fishing with his father. And on their way back in, the father pointed out a radar image indicating the presence of a low-hanging cloud or ship, but the coast was completely clear. The boy recounted, It was broad daylight, and there was nothing there, but the radar sure said there was. The radar showed the ghost ship pursuing their boat for a while, and it eventually faded. There have also been sightings of Blackbeard's ghost on Smith and Tangier Islands in the Chesapeake Bay. One story tells of a man out walking on Tangier Island when he heard a voice call out to him. The man answered, asking what the voice wanted, and the voice told him he must reveal the location of a hidden treasure or eternally suffer torturous unrest. The man fled terrified after a search showed no human in the area. The man's son had been wandering the woods near the ghostly site a few days later. He returned home with two gold coins. His father asked where he had gotten the coins, and the boy told him that a misty man in a dark suit with a long beard came out of the shadows and handed them to him. He recognized the ghost as Blackbeard. The ghost pirate also told the boy where he could find the treasure, but the boy was too afraid to remember the directions he was given. Blackbeard's ghost is basically all over the place, including the Isle of Shoals, where it's said he married and honeymooned with his wife. His ghost has been reported on Lunging Island, where there's a spot during high tide that separates the island into two halves. It's said that Blackbeard buried his treasure there and left his wife to guard it. In the black of night or early morning hours, the glowing shape of the pirate appears. He's seen digging, either burying the treasure or digging it up. That's going to do it for this episode. There are many other tales of pirate ghosts and phantom ships to share in the future episodes. As always, you can find episodes of Lurk wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at lurkpodcast.com. On the website, you'll find episode and links to our socials, so make sure you like or follow us on one of those. If you like what you hear, tell a friend, and if you have a moment, please consider giving us a five-star review. And until next time, keep lurking.